church of God that is in Corinth. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Called to be saints together with all those who are in every place. Call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that there be no division among you. But that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For just as the body is one and has many members. And all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Amen. Today, we're going to be reading scripture, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 18. Feel free to read along with me. For just as the body is one, it has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body each one of them as he chose. Amen. Thank you, Alethea. That was awesome. All right, good morning, Transit Church. How y'all doing today? Good, good. Uh, my name is Nick. If I haven't met you yet, if this is your first time here, thank you for joining us. We are excited that you chose to spend your Sunday morning here with us. Um, if you have your Bibles uh, or your apps, turn them on or turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. As you can tell, we're going to be reading through all of um, uh, verses 12 through 31. And if you've been with us for a couple weeks now, a couple months now, you know that we've been going through uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul's letter to the early church at Corinth. And for the next couple weeks, we're going to be talking about the spiritual gifts. That's what Paul kind of lands the plane a little bit here on spiritual gifts. And uh, from chapters 12 to 14, so for the next couple weeks, that what, that's uh, what we're going to be talking about. And so a quick recap, if you were here last week, Jeff uh, mentioned three uh, kind of broad categories of gifts. One, there's the people gifts, the, the offices of the church um, that God gives to the church to build up and edify the church, and those would be the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, so on and so forth. And then you have the skills gift that not only does God gift people to the church, but those people have skills that God has in his grace given to them. And some of those skills that we looked at um, last week and we will continue to talk about uh, our leadership, administration, teaching, helping, giving, so on and so forth. And the third kind of gift is the manifestation gifts. And this is a little bit different than the previous two. It's reason, the reason it's called the manifestation gift is this is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, manifesting himself in and through us to minister to others. And these are um, what we looked at last week, kind of words of wisdom, words of knowledge, the prophetic tongues, and, and gifts of healings. And these are uh, the manifestation gifts are occasional 
circumstantial gifts of enablement given by God to accomplish a particular purpose. And I think it's important, particularly with the manifestation gifts, um, that we understand that these gifts aren't necessarily a thing we possess as much as these gifts are a person, the Holy Spirit, that we express. And so, like, if you want the gift of healing, for instance, and we're encouraged three times in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, say you're praying, you're asking, you're desiring the gift of healing, you go on Amazon Prime, you go on the gifts of the Spirit tab, and you, you know, purchase gift of the healing, you wait two days, the box finally comes in the mail, and you're so excited, you say, I got my gift of healing. It's not a thing, right? Like, the gift of healing isn't a thing in a box, and you say, yes, me, 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 I get to use this gift, versus, say, for the sake of this illustration, you do all that, and then a person knocks on your door, the Holy Spirit, he says, hey, I've heard your prayers, I, I heard you have a concern and a, and a compassion for people who are ill and sick and dying, and you want to see them miraculously healed through my power, here I am, let's go do that, right? Totally different mindset, totally different mindset. And so what we learned last week is the purpose of God giving us uh, the people gifts, gifts of, of, of uh, you know, the prophets and the teachers, and the gift of the skills, the reason he gives the, the skills gifts, and the reason he gives the manifestation of the spirit, uh, the spirit gifts, the manifestation gifts, the whole purpose behind all of that is so that God would be glorified and the church would be edified. It's an other's mindset. It's not to necessarily just serve and edify us. It's not about us. It's about God and his glory and how uh, uh, others are being fed and, and, and encouraged and edified and exhorted. And so uh, the problem, the context of our passage that we're going to be looking at today is the problem is that the Corinthian church, they made the gift all about themselves particularly the, the gift of tongues, like the Holy Spirit. This was a good thing. The Holy Spirit was operating in power in the early church at Corinth. And so people were speaking in, in the heavenly language. The Holy Spirit was operating in and through people. And what happened was now the Corinthians, they elevated one gift, one manifestation gift above all of the others. And, 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 uh, uh, and, and not just that one gift above the others, but they, they elevated those who had that gift above those who didn't. So now there were kind of two camps uh, the haves and the have-nots, the superior and the inferior, kind of the special forces of the Corinthian church and just the, what the regular people, right? That's kind of what was happening at the church at Corinth. The very gifts that God gives the church to build up the body and bring unity were actually causing division and sin. And so what was interesting is that the Apostle Paul, what we're going to see here in this text, doesn't say stop using the gifts, you're abusing the gifts. He'll actually say actually keep earnestly desiring the gifts, as you earnestly desire God's glory and the church be edified, change the target you're aiming at. Just change the target you're aiming at, not your glory. Your prayer is, Lord, take your glory and, and may you operate in and through me so that uh, the church will be built up and the kingdom of God would advance across the face of the earth. And so there's three things we're looking at because I believe there's three things that the Apostle Paul uh, uh, calls the Corinthians to in response to their abuse of the gifts of God. And the, and the first one is this. I think he calls them to humbly understand their corporate identity. Uh, secondly, he calls them to humbly acknowledge their need for diversity in their gifting. Humbly acknowledge their need for diversity. And third, they need to humbly submit to God's sovereignty. Humbly submit to God's sovereignty in how he chooses to give gifts to who whom he chooses to give them. So let's pray, and then we'll dive into this text. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a, a, a God who gives. What a, what a beautiful truth, that you're a generous God. Uh, you who have given us your son, how will you not also give us all things? And, and, and we want to thank you for that. 
We want to come here this morning and be found grateful. We want uh, uh, your praise to ever be on our lips, God, that we're rejoicing always in how generous you are and the gifts you've given all of us so that all this can be built up in love so that you can be glorified in how we're unified and that your glorious reign where, where, where heaven meets the earth, your glorious reign would extend across the face of, of, of Kingstown and Alexandria to the ends of the earth. And so, Holy Spirit, we thank you, too, that, that, God, you give us the gift of the Holy Spirit who is in us and also among us today. And I pray, Holy Spirit, I ask you to sweep through this place. You do what only you can do. Just stir our hearts, change our hearts and our minds. Give us a passion and a hunger and a thirst for more of you. Help us to empty our cup with things that shouldn't be there, that we're, we're quenching our thirst on, things that we need to repent of so that we can be filled with you, God and the fullness of your love. And we, we ask, God, you take your glory here this morning. Take your glory. Would you increase? Would you be magnified in our lives? And when I decrease it, and this morning, we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, first point is this. Paul calls them to humbly understand their corporate identity. Look at verses 12 through 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made a drink of one spirit. So let's stop right there. Five times in two verses, Paul says one, 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 one body, one body, one body, one spirit, one spirit. And it's almost as if he's shouting to the Corinthians who are always dividing themselves into different camps. He's saying God's intent for the church is unity, is oneness. Look at John 17, 20 through 21. This is the high priestly prayer of Jesus before he goes to the cross. It's kind of his, his deathbed prayer in a way. And this is one thing he prays for his disciples and uh, the church. He says this, to his father, he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. What a grace to us, right? That we're invited into the, the, the Trinitarian, the, the, the Trinitarian divine dance of the Trinitarian God, of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit uh, for all of eternity. We get invited into that, that we, they may be one, that we may be one as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one. And what we learn in this verse is that this is God's heart for his church. And so that's why we fight for, that's why we strive for reconciliation, for forgiveness, for overlooking uh, offenses, for, for repenting of, of resentment and bitterness in our in our hearts and our minds. So Paul doesn't just say that we're, we need to be one, but then he, he goes a little bit further and he, and he talk, uh, uh, um, uses this illustration that we are one body. We're one body. Look at verse 12. He says, and so it is with Christ. So it is with Christ. And what he's saying there is that the church is the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. One body made up of many members, but that body is the body of Christ. That all of us are united to Christ by faith, and when added up individually together, make up the unified body of Christ. And so the implications of that are, are as vast as they are staggering. And Paul takes, you know, 20 verses to expound on this, as we'll see. But I believe he's, he's telling the, the Corinthians this, the importance of their un understanding their corporate identity. He's saying, listen, you are part of something far greater than just your individual gifting. Like, you're all, you're all, bent up about your gifting and how you're operating in the gifts. You're part of something far greater than that. 
You're part of a far grander narrative, a far greater story, God's redemptive story than just your story. You're part of a far greater body than just your individual body. You're part of the body of Christ. And God has uh, grafted you in through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, baptism of Jesus in the Holy Spirit into this one body. And so it's not about us anymore. It's about our King. It's about our King, Jesus, and his kingdom advancing across the face of the earth. And that changes how I use my gifts. And they're not my gifts. They're given to me by God's grace. And I'm just a steward of what God has given me, right? And so we need to ask ourselves continually, when I'm seeking the gifts and I'm, and I'm trying to figure out where God has gifted me, and we need to figure out what target am I aiming at? Am I trying to get applause for me? Am I trying to rob God of glory, do his name? Or am I going to steward this in service to others so that God would be magnified and glorified? And then, so he talks about that we're one body, but then he goes and he says, we're, he uses this word one spirit. We're one body and in one spirit. Look at verse 13. He says, For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. And simply put, what Paul is saying here is we've all been baptized into the body of Christ, and that same body is filled with the Holy Spirit. Baptized by Jesus, immersed fully at the point of conversion, in the Holy Spirit. We don't hold to a second baptism of the Holy Spirit here, that at the point of conversion, you were given the, the full and God's gracious gift of the Holy Spirit indwelling you at the point of conversion. One body, and that body is filled with one Spirit. And it's, it's synonymous. Paul uses a, another illustration to illustrate how the church operates, is that we are the temple of the living God. The temple is a place where heaven meets the earth, and God's glory chooses to dwell, his presence uh, among his people. And Peter uh, and his letters to the church would say that we are living stones. Each and every one of us individually are living stones indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And as we're stacked brick upon brick upon each other, we make up the temple of the living God, the place where his glory dwells. And so it is with us being the body of Christ, each and every one of us, given a different calling, different gifting, different function, we all are indwelt with the same Spirit. So just as we're the body and that body's filled with the Spirit, we're the temple and that temple is filled with the glory of God. And the reason Paul is sharing this to the Corinthians is he's leveling the playing field here. He's leveling the playing field to people who keep elevating themselves over each other at Corinth. He's saying, listen, the same spirit that you were operating in in the gift of tongues, the heavenly language, is the same spirit that this person is using with words of wisdom, words of knowledge. You don't have some secret sauce. You're not the special forces. You're not the uh, elite of the Christian church. It's the same Holy Spirit operating in that person just as much as it's convicting this person of sin and leading them to repentance. Get over yourself. It's not about you. It's about the Holy Spirit and the work he's doing. It's about him. It's about him. It's all about him. It's not about you. You don't have the secret sauce, Corinthians. It's the same Spirit. And I love this last line. It's easy to, to gloss over this and miss this. But he says in verse 13, in one Spirit, all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, there's no distinction, right? Those are now secondary identities. Your ethnicity, your socioeconomic status, those are secondary identities. Your chief, your core identity now is I am a member in the body of Jesus Christ. That's your core identity. And... Um, and I love this last line. And all of us were baptized into the body of Christ, and all were made to drink of one spirit. I love that. I love that. Um, and the beautiful truth of that is that the work of the Holy Spirit doesn't stop at regeneration. 
doesn't stop at new birth, doesn't stop at conversion, doesn't stop at your conversion. Like, Jesus Christ accomplished redemption on, on our behalf on the cross, his atoning sacrifice, his death, his resurrection, his glorification, and it's the Holy Spirit who, who brings that into your heart and lands the plane, and that redemption now is applied to your life through the person and the work of the Holy Spirit indwelling you. And with a beautiful part about that, is the Holy Spirit doesn't just get you saved, but he sticks around, right? He stays. He lingers, if you will. He indwells us. We've seen that all throughout 1 Corinthians. Paul says, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit sticks around, church, in his grace, in his grace to us. What better gift, what better person to stick around with us? Oh, man, what a beautiful gift we've been given. He indwells us because he loves us. He speaks to us. He comforts us. He convicts us of sin. He reveals Jesus. He pours out the Father's love to us, and he equips us to do the work of the ministry. What a beautiful gift we'd be given. So therefore, the Christian life is a continual drinking in, a continual taking in, a continual appropriating of the Holy Spirit so that we can operate in his power and not ours. And a rebuttal might be, Nick, the Holy Spirit isn't a beverage, right? This is offensive, if not downright heretical. How dare you say that? And, and one, I'd say, okay, hey, like, I would say I'm preaching God's word. We were all made to drink of one spirit. It's pretty crystal clear that if you don't, if you don't jive with just that, well, then let's go to Ephesians, Ephesians 5, 18. Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. He says, don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, Okay, so yeah, don't, don't drink in a substance to alter your state of mind. Instead, drink in or be filled with the Spirit, right? Be filled with the Spirit. See, all throughout Scripture, it seems as if, it seems as if our posture towards the Holy Spirit is a, is a taking in, is a, is a filling up of, is a drinking in. And so that we just come, our posture towards God is coming with our thirst, coming with our appetite, coming with our hunger, saying, saying my cup is empty, and I need, I need you to fill that cup. And, and those couple verses weren't enough. Let's go to John 7, 37 through 39, one of my favorite passages. On the last day of the feast, Jesus is at this feast, the great day, and, and uh, Jesus stands up. Just imagine you're at like a, a big feast, a big party. Jesus just stands up. Everyone's sitting down, clanking glasses and all this stuff. He stands up and he cries out, cries out. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus isn't speaking theoretically there, church. He's talking about a person. Right? We can often just live in theoretical land. Jesus is saying, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. And then in verse 39, we get a footnote here from John. He says this, Now Jesus said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. In this passage, it's almost as if Jesus is saying this, Come to me with your thirst. The only precondition is coming to me, acknowledging your need, your hunger for God. And drink in the fullness of the Holy Spirit so much so that, that you drink in so much of that, that so that, that, you're, that, that so, you'll be so filled with that, that out of your heart now will flow rivers of living water. Will flow rivers of living water. And then John Piper says this, and actually when I stumbled upon this, I was actually surprised John Piper said this. Um, 
he says this. So drinking the Spirit means setting our minds on the things of the Spirit. And setting our mind on the things of the Spirit means directing our eager attention to the teachings of the apostles about God and to the words of Jesus. Drinking the Holy Spirit is not divorced from God's Word, right? And that's what Jeff talked about. Last time. We're, not all, we're not all experiential and, 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 and just living and operating in spirit, but we're also, we want to study God's word and marinate and saturate in God's word and be people of the book as well. And if we do this long enough, we will get drunk with the spirit. In fact, this is John Piper. In fact, we will get addicted to the spirit. Instead of chemical dependency, we will develop, listen, I love this, a wonderful spirit dependency. A wonderful spirit dependency. And then he continues, if we want to be filled with the spirit, we must pray for it. And that is just what Paul does for the Ephesians. He asks his Father in heaven that the believers might be filled with all the fullness of God. Drink and pray, drink and pray, drink and pray. I love that. I love that. And how we drink in, Scripture is pretty clear on this. We drink in by, by studying and, 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 and reading and memorizing and marinating in the word, very words of God, his revelation in the Bible. We give thanks in all circumstances. We rejoice always. We, we praise him with our hands in the air, raising up our hallelujah. And, and then we pray without ceasing throughout the day. We stay dialed and stay connected, and we pray for more. We pray for more. And we're going to talk about that at the end. But my daughter, um, my first daughter, we taught like sign language. And then I had a second kid, and we just try to keep that kid alive. Um, but Kelsey, Kelsey, uh, when she's like around two, we teach her sign language, and she's like on a big sunflower seed kick. We had sunflower seeds, and she loved them, like super salty or whatever. And um, so she was doing the, the sign language at the table one day, and uh, I was watching her, and, and, uh, and uh, so she's doing this. I think, I think this is a sign for more. And she'd go, more, more, daddy, more. And I had, I mean, we had like a a gallon bag of sunflower seeds weighted just as much as she did. I had, she did. I had like an endless supply. So I was like, all right, here you go. Here's some more seeds. And she would crush those. And she would go, more, daddy, and start giggling more. She's just so excited. And I gave her more. And, and in my head, I'm thinking, I have a never-ending supply of sunflower seeds. And you've, you are intaking so much that if you were like to sneeze right now, you'd sneeze out like a whole sunflower. Like that's how many, how many sunflower seeds you have, <laughs> have digested right now. But the Father's heart, my heart in that, was this. I, I, I just couldn't help but think that this is the Father's heart and the Father's posture when we ask for more of him in our lives. Of like, there's an endless supply of God's mercy, his love, his grace, more of the Holy Spirit operating in our lives. And I think a prayer that, I know a prayer that brings him glory, saying, God, I'm hungry for more. More, Lord, more. And we always limit God. We always try to box him in. And we think that maybe that's sacrilegious coming with our need, but it's actually praying the very, the very way Jesus taught us to prayer, as we will see in Luke 11 when we conclude, that we are actually to pray for more of the Holy Spirit. And God's a good God who loves to give good gifts to his kids. And what greater gift can he give to us than more of the Holy Spirit operating in our life? So my question to us, church, before we move on is, what are you praying for right now in your life? More than that, maybe not more than that, but synonymous with that maybe is, what are you thirsting for right now in your life? What's got you by the collar, by your shirt collar, and that you're just passionate about? And is it God himself? Are we, are we a people zealous, single-minded pursuit of God? What else is in the cup that's quenching our thirst so that we're not thirsty for God anymore? Would you, would you reflect on those questions as, I, as I've been reflecting on those questions this week in preparation for this message? Why am I not thirsting as much as I should be? What, what am I quenching my thirst 
on. What am I praying for? Secondly, Paul says, he points them to this is uh, humbly, they need to humbly acknowledge their need for diversity. I'm going to read a long text of scripture here. Please focus with me. Verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would this be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body uh, be? Um, as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, uh, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, that the members... Uh, may have the same care for one another. So if one member suffers, we all suffer together. And if one member is honored, we all rejoice together. And what Paul's doing there is, again, he's continuing to use that illustration of the human body, that we're one body made up of many members. I can't think of a better picture to use of unity, wholeness, life coming through a diversity of various members operating their function, their calling, their gifting, to, to build up the body, right? Like, think of the complexity of the human body. You've got the, the bones, the muscles, the tendons, the glands, the, the, the eyes, the hands, the feet, the ear, uh, so on and so forth, all working together, doing their part to make you, you, right? To make you, you. No staff meetings. No, no group chats. Uh, no petty resentments. They're just, hey, this is my job that God has gifted me to build up the body. I will do this faithfully, and the body will thrive. I will do my part, whether that's visible or invisible, whether that's up front or behind the scenes. And why is Paul taking so much time on this illustration? Because, again, as we talked about in the introduction, uh, the Corinthians were abusing the gifts, and two camps had arisen uh, 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 the haves and the have-nots, those with a sense of inferiority in their gifting and those with a, with a sense of prideful superiority. And so the inferior, the have-nots, were those with kind of the less visible gifts. Maybe they didn't have the gifts of tongues. And Paul, what he does here in the passage we just read is he personifies, to illustrate their mindset, he personifies the foot and the ear, and he puts words in the foot's mouth. And the foot, in this illustration for Paul, this foot is having a bad day. He's doing a lot of window shopping. And he's looking at the hands, and he's saying, man, if only I were more like that hand, right? The hand gets all the glory. He gets the fist bumps, the high fives, the, the text messages, the getting to hold the, the warm cup of coffee on a, on a cold day, right? And, and, and I stink, like, literally and figuratively. Like, I'm a foot. Like, I'm hairy. I stink. Nobody likes me. I'm, I'm hidden in socks and smelly shoes all day, and I'm just the uber driver for the body. I just take the body where it needs to go so that the body can get all the glory. The hands can get all the glory, right? When do I get recognition? When do I get the glory that is due my name? We call what we would, if I were to put a title on this line of thinking, it's the toxicity of comparison. Whenever you and I compare our calling and our individual gifting to somebody else who's given a completely different calling and a completely different gifting, uh, it's, it's a lose-lose. 
we begin to, one, resent God. We're saying, God, you cheated me. I, you should have given me that gifting. Two, we resent the other person. We envy them and say, oh, look at them, hot shot, blah, 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 you know? And then three, we, we resent ourselves. And that's exactly what Paul illustrates here when, when uh, the line of thinking goes, I'm not that gifted. Actually, my gifting isn't even, even needed in the body of Christ. Therefore, deduction, uh, uh, I don't belong. That's what the, I don't belong to the body. I serve no purpose. And that's what some of the Corinthians were wrestling with. And, um, and Paul says that's bogus, as we'll see uh, uh, further on here. And then you have those in the, the sense of superiority camp. They were the haves. They had the flashy, more visible gifts, most likely the gift of tongues. They were operating that gift. And uh, Paul illustrates uh, that through the eye. He personifies an eye looking at, down at the hand with disgust. And, and saying the absurd, saying, I have no need of you. If only, and, and, and the mindset that he's using there is, is he, he's, he's calling out the proud Corinthians and saying, hey, you know, the, their line of thinking is essentially this. He's saying, I'm the elite. I'm the special forces. If everyone was like me here, we would get a lot more done. If, if they could just operate in the gifts of the Spirit, like I can operate in the gifts of the Spirit, man, like, the sky's the limit for what we could accomplish in uh, uh, the church. It shouldn't be called the gifts of the Spirit because it's actually, they maybe they believe this, which is not true, but maybe they believe that, hey, it's actually the more mature, the holier Christians that get the cooler gifts. And so therefore, it shouldn't be called the gifts, the graces of the Spirit. It should be called the wages of the Spirit because God's just giving me my due because I'm awesome. I've earned this gift, Right? That's their thinking. That's their mindset. It was toxic. Toxic. And it was comparison as well. They're looking uh, uh, down on others as they're elevating themselves up in a, in, a, in a gift they've been given, right? A gift they've been given. Boasting in God's grace to them. And we call that pride. And you, you just have to read scripture just for a little bit to find out a common refrain in God's word is, God opposes the proud. If you don't, if there's one person who is all powerful in the universe you do not want an opposition to you it is god therefore humble yourself god opposes the property gives grace to the humble so the problem listen the problem with both the inferior and the superior the problem with both of these camps is they were both aiming at their own glory and stewarding the gifts god has given them to advance their own kingdoms and the fame of their own name that was the problem. They were glory hogs. Instead of looking at the overall health of the body and how they played a small part in the overall health of the body, they were just focusing in on themselves. It was like God in his grace to them hands them the football, right? Like, hey, you're going to run this play. Here's the grace of God to you. Take this. Run down the field with it. And they take it, and they run the opposite direction with the gift. They're playing for the other team, right? Because they want all of the glory. And it's either God's glory or nobody else's, because when we start living for our own glory and our gifting, where the, the enemy's many is applauding us, he's cheering as we're running towards the opposite end zone, right? Keep going, Nick. Keep going. You're going the right way, right? Um, and so with that, my challenge would be this. Uh, who do you find yourself comparing to yourself to? Uh, who do you often, what, what gift do you envy? And Why? And why? Because the reason exploring those questions is, is seeing where is my heart at? Why do I want these gifts? Why do I want these gifts? Uh, and Paul's response to, to both of uh, these groups of people is one, he says, diversity is a necessity and homogeneity is an absurdity. 
Diversity and gifting is a necessity to the body of Christ, and homogeny is an absurdity, us being homogenous in our gifting. Verse 22, he says, the parts that appear weaker are indispensable. The parts that appear weaker are indispensable to the body of Christ. If you don't believe that, if, just see what happens if your spleen decides to go on strike. The whole body, boom, in the hospital. Um, and so the truth that we learn here is church, each and every one of you, you are indispensable to the body of Christ. It's God's word. God's promises to us. You are indispensable. God has gifted you to the church and given you gifts to steward, to edify and build up the church. So if you're here today and you're in the inferior, inferior camp, rest in that. And then Paul plays out the flip side of this illustration saying, hey, if we, were, if we were to get what each party wants and all of you had one gift, it would be as absurd as the church being a giant eye, which is terrifying and useless, right? It's like the eye of Sauron. It's, we don't want that. Um, and how does that edify anyone? How does that build anyone up, right? If we all have just one gift, diversity is a necessity in our gifting. Secondly, what Paul points them to in response to that is greater honor ought to be shown to the less visible, the less kind of honorable members of the body. That's what Paul says here, is that um, the less visible in their gifting, who don't kind of get up front, all the upfront, upfront glory, uh, are worthy of greater honor because they get no recognition on this side of eternity for their work, right? Um, and what I liken this to is as I've been in ministry for a long time, uh, the media department and like that sound booth, the NASA command center back there, um, they often get no recognition for their work. Like God has given them skills that I do not have, I will never have, um, to, you know, make sure everything runs smoothly on a Sunday morning. Like sound is operating with mics on, all the, the instruments are in check, you know, the, the slides are up and running, all that stuff. And the only time they get recognition is when things go bad. Right? And then everyone does this, like, you guys playing Fortnite back there? Like, what's, what's going on? You know? That's the only recognition they get is when a mistake happens or something. But if everything runs smoothly and they ace their job, we walk right past them and, and they get no recognition for that. And uh, Paul's encouragement would be, like, they're worthy of uh, greater honor. And uh, thirdly, God's intent with giving the gifts uh, of the various gifts is unity, not division in the body. He says in verses 25 through 26, that there may be no division. God has so composed the body in this way that there may be no division. That, that the purpose of that diversity and gifting is actually unity in the body. And that we use that unity not just for not division, but to care for one another without caring as much about who gets the glory. And the picture he gives us as unity is in verse 26. He says, the picture I want the church to have of unity and us caring for one another is that if one goes down, if one suffers, we all suffer together. We don't rejoice and say, yes, that dude, that, that dude looks bad. I look better. This is great. No, if one suffers, we all suffer together. That's how unified we are. If one is honored, we all rejoice together. Basically, this mindset, a win for you is a win for me, and a loss uh, for me is a loss for you. Why? Because we're all in the kingdom advancement game together. We're all in the kingdom advancement game together. And so um, I have a buddy who plays adult league hockey. I grew up playing hockey. Don't play so much anymore. But uh, a couple months back, he invited me to go play, which is great because I don't have to pay if you're a sub. I just uh, sub in. And um, as I'm going there, I listened to a sermon earlier that day or earlier that week, can't remember, about this pastor saying, um, be a hero maker. Don't try to be the hero. Be a hero maker. And that resonated with me. And I was praying on the way to hockey. I was like, Lord, let me just try to, let me do like an experiment today. Let me see how this plays out on the ice. Let me try to be a hero maker, not the hero. 
and um, which was good because I walked into the locker room and uh, my buddy told everyone that the pastor was coming to play with them. Um, uh, and I walk in and uh, you know everyone says, "Hey, the pastor's here." And I hear one of the is a team of lawyers and one of the guys says, "God help us." Um, <laughs> And so I'm playing, we're doing our thing, it's a good game, you know, I'm, I'm passing, I'm trying to set up, uh, uh, you know, the plays and all that stuff, trying to be the hero maker, right? And then the game ends, but we're tied, so it goes to a shootout. And uh, the way it works in, in shootout is like you pick your, you know, your three, and they pick their three, and you go one, two, three, four. And so two people from our team went, two people from their team went, and it was tied up, and then um, the third man kind of is a deciding factor, and I think the team thought that the passer had some, like, you know, like uh, superstitious gifting. And so everyone's like, the pastor, call up the pastor for the, the shootout. And I was like, dang it, I don't want to be on the, the shootout. And so I had this glorious image of like, I'm going to go down the ice, triple deke, muddy duck style, roof it backhand. And then the glory cloud will descend and because they'll see how God has gifted me as a hockey player and everyone will come to know Jesus because, you know, of my skills. Anyways, I go down the ice and uh, the goalie does a poke check, and I go flying. Don't get a shot off. Puck goes over here. Land on my face. Humiliating. Embarrassing, right? And, uh, and I, you know, the walk of shame, you have to, like, skate all the way back to your bench. <laughs> and uh, the other team goes. I'm like, oh, man, I hope they don't score. They didn't score. But then the fourth man, he's up to bat. And, uh, and that's where I think a lot of us were praying, because that guy wasn't, uh, there wasn't a lot of hope that that guy was going to, maybe score on, that, on that, uh, that shootout. And he goes, and he has one of the silliest goals I've ever seen. Like, roofs it, everyone loses their mind, and we won the game, and all of a sudden, the Lord brought back to my attention, hey, Nick, remember what you prayed for? Who was the hero of the game? It wasn't you, bro. It wasn't you, right? Be the hero maker. Be the hero maker. And the beautiful thing about that is we won the game, and I didn't get the glory, and I was able to rejoice with those who rejoice, right? Because we're, we're on a team together. We're one body, the same goal, advancing God's kingdom across the face of the earth. And we stop uh, getting so bent up about who gets the glory and start asking God to take his glory. Then that's, where that, that's, when, that's when we're operating in the sweet spot of the gifting he's given us. So if, if diversity and gifting is an accepted necessity for the church, then we can thank God for the gifts he's given us. We can thank God for the gifts he's given us and thank God for the gift that he's given others and rejoice and say, thank you, God, for that gift because it's built me up, it's encouraged me, it's edified me. We can rejoice in those who rejoice. And lastly, Paul points them to this. He calls them to humbly submit to God's sovereignty. We're going back to verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Paul is saying here, check yourself, Corinthians. God's uh, the master builder. He's the architect. He's the coach. He calls the shots. He chooses who goes where and who gets what. And so the truth of the matter is this, is Corinthians and Transit Church, we don't choose our gift. It's given to us, hence its name being a gift, right? And therefore, we can't boast in that gifting. It's not our choice. Our gift is chosen for us. And so what it looks like to submit to God's sovereignty in that is gladly accepting what he's given you. Saying, thank you, God, for the way you've made me, the way you've gifted me. Help me to check my heart. Help me to stop envying. Let me, just, let me just thank you for what you have given me, that you have not withheld any good thing from me. You've already given me your son. You've given me the Holy Spirit. Thank you for it, and you've given me some skills. And you might be asking, well, how should I find my gift? I have nothing against, like, spiritual gift tests, uh, but I think, um, I've heard it put this way, I think a much better way to find your gift 
is start serving in the body and let your gift find you. Let your gift find you in community groups, right? That'd be a great way. Start opening up your house, uh, hosting, maybe be an apprentice, start, start aspiring to uh, the gift of leadership and leading a discussion, start praying over and for people, maybe, maybe uh, start taking the administrative duties of the group, seeing if you have the gift of administration, start uh, uh, seeing about how your, your community group can reach out to your neighbors and your community and see if you have the gift of evangelism, so on and so forth. When I took over the Vienna community group about three years ago, I thought, uh, or I tried to do all the gifting and, and including the administration of the group, and guess what? I found out what gift I did not have because the group was not edified as I tried to operate in a gift I did not have. Once I let go of that and asked somebody else with that gifting to do it, the group, th- group thrives, right? So as you go and serve and are part of the body of Christ and are serving, you'll find out what you have and also what you don't have, um, where people are edified the most in you uh, leaning into your gifting. And then verses 27 through 31. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, And God has appointed, there again, God's sovereignty, God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. What Paul's doing here is he is listing out, laying out the eyes, the ears, the hands, the feet of the body of Christ. And uh, disclaimer, I don't have time to go into the specifics of each of these, these gifts. We're going to talk about that, uh, those in more detail in weeks to come. But three things we learn here. One, some gifts bring more edification to the body of Christ than others. All gifts are indispensable, and yet some bring more edification to others. There's a hierarchy of value of sorts here. And I don't have enough time to fully divulge on that. But, but, but we see Paul laying out kind of an order. And note where he puts the gift of tongues, dead last. If the Corinthians were to lay out a hierarchy of value, it would be first place. And what Paul's doing here is saying, the gift you're aspiring to actually doesn't edify as much as you think it does other people because if everyone's operating in tongues but nobody has the gift of interpretation, nobody's being edified, right? Um, Secondly, no one person will get every gift, right? Notice what he says here, do all heal, do all speak in tongues, do all uh, uh, teach, do all work miracles? The, the response is no, no, no. Then don't expect that you'll get all of them either, which means that if you have something that somebody else doesn't, then you can't boast about that, right? There is no Superman of the spiritual gifts, right? We don't all get the gifts. And third, what we see here is so interesting, Paul's exhortation, his command to a church that was abusing the gifts of the Spirit is earnestly desire the higher gifts. So interesting there. And it's almost a paradox of sorts, right? Like, like humbly submit to God's sovereignty and, and, what, and the way he's gifted you, and yet ask for more. And yet hunger and thirst and ask for more from God. I love that. And that word earnest, he says, earnestly desire the higher gifts. That's the word for this zealousy. That's zealous. Like be zealous about the gifts. A single-minded, passionate pursuit of something or someone. Note Paul doesn't say study about the spiritual gifts. 
talk about the spiritual gifts, be apathetic to the gifts of the Spirit. He says, earnestly desire then, earnestly strive for, ask for, fast, hunger for more of the Holy Spirit operating in your life. You're hungering and thirsting for a person, the Holy Spirit, to be actively at work in your life. And the question that I want to leave us up before I leave us with before I conclude here is why would you not earnestly desire that? What else could you earnestly desire on this side of eternity than more of God? And more of God personally operating in, in crazy ways in your life to, to extend his glorious reign across the face of the earth. Operating in his power, not your... Oh, what, could, what else could be more desirable than that? The spirit of the living God who indwells you actively at work, operating in and through you to build up the church, to love others, and to, uh, and to extend his reign across the face of the earth. And so I'll conclude with, uh, with this. Uh, I'll be brief on, on this. I'll just conclude with my story. And so uh, I went to a really awesome seminary that I'm really thankful for, Reformed Theological Seminary. It's where I met Jeff. And um, uh, I was a cessationist there. That's what I learned and that means that I don't believe, I didn't believe that um, the, the, the Holy Spirit operated like he did in, as we're studying here, right? That that had ceased with the closing of the canon of Scripture. And uh, so much so, I was such a proud cessationist that that song we sung last week of, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Uh, when that first came out and everyone was raving about it, I told Jenna, I was like, that's not even a worship song. You're just inviting someone. Like, that's not, we're not, there's no adoration. There's no gratitude. There's no praise. Like, that's not a worship song. Like, what is that, right? No, we need to, like, that's not theologically sound, right? That's what, you know. Anyways, that's how stupid I was. Anyways, um, what's interesting about that season of my life um, uh, of being all knowledge and no spirit necessarily, not that the spirit left me, but I wasn't operating uh, in him, was that, um, I was left with this kind of plaguing question of, is this really the abundant life that Jesus talked about, right? There's kind of like a, a season of dryness in my life. And then something happened three years ago where everything changed, where I, uh, uh, something happened to me where uh, everything changed in my life and I, had, I, I was forced to, in a way, change my thoughts on the Holy Spirit and how he operates today. And so three years ago, uh, in this month, it was September 7th, three years ago, uh, almost to this day, but three years ago, I had a big decision to make. Uh, that had big consequences for my family and for myself, and it kept me up at night to the point I was up till midnight, and you're like just going back and forth over this decision, and uh, I finally went to my living room uh, to pray, and at that point, um, I pretty much just shot up a flare to God, and uh, it was a couple crazy months leading up to that point, and uh, you know, at that, at that moment, I didn't necessarily need just like, I knew the promises of God and his word. I needed presence, Right? Like, I needed presence. And so what I prayed was a prayer I stole from a pastor friend of mine who, I've, but anyways, I just prayed this prayer. I said, I said, Jesus, I know you don't say no to invites. Would you come into my life right now in a real and personal way? That's all, that's all that's what I prayed. And what happened next, uh, I'll just read from my journal app of, of what happened next. But it was hands down the best day of my life, crazy experience, one of the best days of my life, one of the crazy experiences of my life. And this is what my journal entry said. What happened next was hands down the most insane experience of my life. I literally felt a sense of, a, of covering like a blanket, light as a feather and high as a kite for probably a solid 10 minutes. It was absolute perfect peace. No worry, no fear, no shame, no guilt, no doubt. Just sweet bliss 
in the presence of the Lord. I felt like I was floating on a thousand pillows, totally indescribable. It literally felt like heaven came down to earth. It was sheer bliss that surpasses all understanding, his presence in full force. And after that experience, I'm not saying I had second baptism in the spirit, but what's so interesting is after that experience, these past three years of my Christian life have looked entirely different from the, the previous years. Um, where all of a sudden I had this realization that the way God spoke to and operated in his book, he still does that today. And I can't, I can't box him in and say, you don't do that stuff anymore because, because you've, you've handcuffed yourself just to operate. You know, God still does what he does. And, and in his grace to me, the spirit has been at work in my life in ways that uh, I would have never expected or anticipated four years ago. Dreams, visions, words of knowledge, stuff we're studying about here. And the reason I, I share all this is, is this, is I've been in both camps, if you will. And, and, and the way I liken it to is this, is before my, um, me changing my views on the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and all that stuff, the way I would view my Christian life was like rowing. I'm on the water, and it's all up to Nick Mundrazo. Get your act together, pick up the oars, and just row all your strength, all your power to get where you need to go. More, more theology, more doctrine, more word, more discipline. Just row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. And it's agonizing. It was dead. It was lifeless. There's no joy in that. For me, there wasn't. That would kind of describe, there's lots of pride in that because any effort you make is all your own rowing. And I contrast the past three years, so this isn't, and this isn't like, this. I'm broadly speaking, you know, I'm not saying like it's all been gumdrops and lollipops these last three years. But uh, I contrast, I, I believe the Christian life, I believe the Christian life is sailing. It's not rowing. Where you just throw up, boom. There's some work involved, right? If you sailed before, there's some work involved. But you're operating in, you're, you're taking in, you're catching, and using a power that's not yours to go where you need to go. Where, go where he wants to take you, Right? That's the Christian life. And sailing is a whole lot more fun, but also, listen, a whole lot more effective. A whole lot more effective. And that's what I, the, the conundrum I had in pastoral ministry until these past three years was this, is, Lord, you've called me to ministry, but I haven't really seen anyone powerfully change. I haven't seen you operate in power. I haven't seen this, yeah, I'm, I'm doing the impossible. I'm seeking to do the pastoral calling, the work of changing lives in my own strength, when in fact, it's only the Holy Spirit who can regenerate. It's only the Holy Spirit who can sanctify. It's only the Holy Spirit can come upon us and change us and, and, and bring about what he needs to bring about in our lives. And so therefore it changes where I can decrease so that I can just be, I can just, just, just point you to somebody else, right? And say, hey, this is where life is found, right? Throw up your sails, Transit Church. The wind's blowing, right? Drop your oars and raise your hallelujah, Say, Lord, I'm, try I'm tired of rowing. I'm tired of rowing. Would you come into my life in a real and personal way? I don't want to operate in my own strength. I want to know you more. And Transit Church, we're given a command here that Paul gives three times to the Corinthian church. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. If you're here today and you believe that, that the gifts of the Spirit have continued, that's a command that we're to obey. And so if we aren't actively trying to, to drink in and appropriate and take in the Holy Spirit, we're actually being disobedient to God's word because we're given a crystal clear command for that. And I'll close with Luke 10, 
uh, Luke 11, verse 13. And the words of Jesus, he, he teaches us how to pray there. He says this, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask them? It wasn't until a couple years ago that I realized what Jesus said here. Because the Lord's Prayer, we always focus on the Lord's Prayer, and then it's the focus is being persistent in prayer. But then at the very end of that passage, Jesus says, how much more will the Heavenly Father not just give physical things like, hey, give me a raise or, you know, or new tires on my car, but how much more the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask them. So what we should be doing is asking the Father for more of the Holy Spirit's operation in our lives, being obedient to what Jesus has taught us in his word. And so my hope and my prayer uh, for us as church is that we would be a people who are hungry and zealous for God, God the Holy Spirit, uh, hungering, thirsting. And isn't that the truth? Like, like, God just encourages us to come with our thirst to him, come with our empty cup, and say, please, please fill me to the brim with more of you. Not more, not, doctrine is great, theology is great, Bible study is great, but often we can miss uh, who all those things point to in the pursuit of that. So please, uh, please pray to that end with me as we close in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come before you uh, humbled by your posture towards us, Father. Uh, all throughout your word, you're a father who loves to lavish gifts upon his children. And, and, and Jesus, so much so that, that uh, the gift you gave was the highest gift that could be given was, was your son, Jesus Christ, to take our place on the cross. So listen, our debts could, could, could all be burned up. All the citations of our sin could be burned up. So when we look into our past, there's nothing there but the righteous uh, robe of Jesus Christ. We're covered forever in your love and your grace and your mercy. It's all a gift. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. And yet you give it. And there's more that you have to give us. Because that's what you're in the business of doing is giving us more. More of what we don't deserve. And so that's what we pray for, more of what we deserve. Don't deserve, we pray, God, send us your spirit. More, Lord, more. More of you, Holy Spirit. Forgive us for the ways we've, we've held you back. The, the picture I got during worship was like a... a uh, a levee or a dam, if you were holding back this avalanche of water and how in our, our theology or our fear that we've, 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 we've tried to box you in and hold you back. And I pray, Lord, that that, that wall there, that the cracks would ripple through that. And Holy Spirit, you'd come upon us like a flood and we'd be immersed and just saturated, filled with, to the fullness of your love for us, the fullness of your spirit. Because without that, Without that, um, our thirsty hearts die. If we go without water physically, we die. If we go without your spirit, Lord, we're dead. We're dead men walking. And so we cry out to you with our need. We cry out to you with our hunger. We cry out to you with our thirst, saying we want more of you. We want more of you, Lord. So would you give us that grace, Father? And thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for all the ways you've been faithful and generous, and kind, and slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love to us. We pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.